I'm going to ask you to open with me this morning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. And today we're going to continue in a series of messages here at Enon entitled The Season of Giving. You know, most of us know that giving and receiving gifts is a huge part of our Christmas celebrations in our present culture. And in many ways that's not a bad thing. Because giving can, can serve as a reminder of what the, the greatest gift that any of us could have ever received. And that's the fact that God gave us the gift of a Savior at that very first Christmas. And as we've seen in recent weeks is that giving has been a part of that very first Christmas. God gave us a Savior. The Magi gave Jesus their treasures and their gifts. Mary gave unto the Lord her life and her future in being willing to give birth to the Savior of the world. You know, my prayer has been during this sermon series is that God might move our hearts not just away. There's, again, there's nothing wrong with giving gifts, but He would move our hearts away from just the cultural giving of this season and move our hearts towards giving unto God the things that matter most this Christmas season. That we would give unto God our treasure. That we would give unto God the things that honor Him. That we would give unto God our lives. And that even today, we're going to look at what it means to give God our families. The title of our message today is Giving God Your Family. This Christmas. I want you to look with me at our text, Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. And I want to invite you to stand with me this morning in reverence to the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. And if you are unable to stand, you feel free to reverence the Word of God from your seats there where you are. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When Mary... When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit." She will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and, you sh- and, he- and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep, and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife. But kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray this morning. Father, I truly ask today, Lord, I thank you that this is the Lord's day and that, God, you are here among us right now. So, Lord, I I ask, God, would you put your words in my mouth, God? Would you give me your mind and your heart? And, God, I thank you that you know the names and the hearts and the families of every person in this room. And God, I pray that you would speak to them today. Oh, Lord, would you open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from your law. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, the Gospels of Luke and Matthew tell us the most about the birth of Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke, the account of the conception and birth of Jesus focuses primarily on Mary. But in Matthew's Gospel... As we just saw, it focuses more closely on the role that Joseph had in Jesus coming into the world. In our text today, the story begins with the understanding that Mary has already conceived Jesus in her womb prior 
to her and her betrothed husband, husband having been intimate. Her pregnancy was revealed, and obviously Joseph assumed that Mary had been unfaithful. In the words of Ricky Ricardo, Mary had some splaining to do. But in truth, this would not have been a laughing matter. The seriousness of the situation can be seen in verse 19 when the Bible says that Joseph planned to send her away secretly. You know, the wording used in the Greek there for send her away actually meant to divorce us, uh, divorce her. All of us can understand how betrayed Joseph must have felt in this moment. But in order to really be able to understand the sense of hurt, We've got to recognize that this was much more, their situation, their betrothal was much more than an engagement and what we would consider in our present day. Mary and Joseph's betrothal was not an engagement like we understand today, but it was more like a phased approach to marriage. In the eyes of Mary and Joseph, they were already married at this point. All that remained for their marriage to be complete was public recognition and physical intimacy. So for Joseph, Mary's pregnancy would have felt more like an act of adultery inside of marriage than just a hurtful and embarrassing end to an engagement. In fact, it was so serious and the betrothal was so serious that Mary could have been stoned in this moment as an adulterer. But the beauty of this story is that as Joseph planned to divorce Mary secretly, The Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. The Lord explained to him what had taken place, which then led to Joseph continuing to take Mary as his wife, which in turn meant that he adopted Jesus as his son. Now, I want us to pause for a moment. And this morning, I want us to ask this question. Why was it so important in the sight of God to bring Joseph into The Christmas story. Mary was already pregnant with Jesus at this point. Mary could have given birth to Jesus and raised the Son of God. Why was it so important for Joseph and Mary's marriage to continue? I want to give you a few uh, possible reasons by way of introduction this morning. Some could argue that God spoke to Joseph here in Matthew chapter 1 to maintain their marriage as a grace to Mary to save her from great struggle. And and all of our hearts can understand this to a degree. It doesn't seem fair in our minds that a servant of God like Mary would have to have been seen as an adulterer with no one else to know the truth besides her. If Joseph had divorced her and she would become a single mom, it would have made her life incredibly difficult. Now, Now, don't get me wrong. While I believe that what God did here in continuing this marriage between Joseph and marriage, uh, Joseph and Mary was absolutely a grace to her. But what I want you to hear this morning is that God was not bound to do that for her. All throughout Scripture, we see servants of God who endured great struggles personally in fulfilling their mission for God. Think about the Old Testament Joseph who was a servant of God. The Bible says that he was lied about. He was sold as a slave. He was imprisoned. At one point, he was viewed as an attempted rapist until God raised him up. And again, he did this as unto the Lord. Think about the ministry of Jesus, the Son of God. He too was lied about, falsely arrested and accused, and murdered for doing the Father's will. And so without doubt, 
God bringing Joseph into the story for Mary is a great grace to Mary. But I want us to see that God was not bound to do that for her. So there had to be a greater reason for Joseph's entrance into the story. Also, some could argue that God wanted the marriage of Joseph and Mary to continue so that by Joseph adopting Jesus, Jesus would then be brought into the lineage of King David. Now, if you had been a Jew in Jesus' day, you would have understood the prophecies that the Messiah would come as a branch from the line of King David. Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6 is one of these prophecies. It says, Behold, days are declaring coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up, uh, raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. This was a prophecy that God was going to raise up this great king who would go on to be, the, be named the Lord, our righteousness. And there were several others, but God's people knew that the Messiah, the Savior, was going to have to be a relative to King David. If you read the beginning of Matthew's gospel, you will see that he gives a genealogy of Jesus. And this genealogy is traced through Joseph, his adopted father, who was a descendant of King David. So legally, his adopted father, who was a descendant of King David, by him adopting Jesus, Jesus was brought into that lineage. Now this is beautiful for several reasons. This is first beautiful because it shows us that God has always used adoption as part of his great plan. If you're here today and you are adopted or you're an adoptive parent, I want you to know that we need to think about this for a moment, that Jesus, the Son of God, he was adopted too. And it was always part of God's plan for him to do so. God had intentionally worked it out where he was going to bring Jesus to be raised in the home of Mary and Joseph to receive everything that he needed to receive in preparation for his life in ministry. God still does the same thing today by bringing children into families who will love and care for them. So I want you to know this morning that if you are an adopted child today, it was God's design that you are where you are. Isn't that beautiful today? And you relate even to the Son of God in that picture of adoption. So I want you to hear this. Without doubt, God had a plan for Jesus to be born in the home of Mary and Joseph. However, I want also to look at the fact that Joseph may not have necessarily had to marry Mary. That's hard to say, by the way, Mary, Mary. Anyway, may not have had to continue in the marriage with Mary in order for Jesus to be in the line of David. Several scholars, dating all the way back to the great reformer Martin Luther believe that Jesus may have been able to be a descendant of David not, through, not just through the adoption of his father Joseph, but through the lineage and the blood of his mother Mary. If you look at Luke chapter 3, Luke also gives a genealogy of Jesus, but it's different from Matthew's. Many scholars explain the differences in these family trees as being that Luke's genealogy follows Mary and not Joseph. So if this is the case, then Jesus was not only legally a descendant of David through his adopted father Joseph, but also he was of the blood lineage of David through Mary, 
his mother. Now, I personally believe this is the case. And I think it's just another beautiful way of God over and abundantly showing us that Jesus was the descendant. He had clear claim by legal right through Joseph and by blood right through Mary to the throne of David. But think about this. If this is the case, then Jesus did not necessarily have to be adopted by Joseph to fulfill the Davidic promise. Now, I'm not saying that that's not part of God's plan. I think it's beautiful. I think it was. But again, even that shows us that it's likely that Joseph's marriage to Mary had even a greater reason than even bringing Jesus into the line of David. Finally, some could argue that God wanted the marriage of Joseph and Mary to continue to make sure that Mary and Jesus were provided for through the efforts of a husband and a father. And again, I absolutely believe that that's true. I believe that God used Joseph. We're going to talk about that specifically in a moment. Joseph to take on the headship role as the leader of the home. And and I believe that's absolutely true. But again, if you look throughout the Old Testament... God could have provided for Mary and Jesus without Joseph. If you look at the Old Testament, you look at two widows that God cared for supernaturally through the ministry of Elisha and Elijah, two separate widows that God cared for them supernaturally. And God's always been able to meet the needs of his people. And so, again, if we look at that here uh, this morning, there's some, some beauty in that. I think God absolutely did that. But at the same time, it still brings us back to the fact that, that, that God could have done this without Joseph. And so why did God want to maintain the marriage of Mary and Joseph if it was not for just as a grace to Mary, if it was not to bring him as the lineage, uh, bring him into the lineage of David, if it was not to just be a provider for Mary and Jesus. You might say, well, Pastor Zach, then what is the reason? Let me tell you what I believe the reason is. I believe that the reason why God brought Joseph into this story in Matthew chapter 1 is because the family was his design and was the ideal place for the Son of God to be raised. I believe that the Christmas story expresses the importance that God gives to the family. We all know that Jesus plays the central role in the Christmas story. But we also need to recognize that Mary and Joseph and the family, they are co-stars in this amazing story. It's also important for us to recognize that both mother and father are equally important in this text. If you look at Luke... Mary is kind of the hero of the the human element in this Christmas story. But if you look at the Gospel of Matthew, it's Joseph. Joseph plays the central role in that. And it's given emphasis as the father to Jesus. Friends, this should bring us to wonder and amazement that in the grand redemptive plan of God, that God always knew that he was going to bring his son to this earth to incarnate himself in flesh and that he was going to entrust this divine human flesh to the earthly womb of a woman and to the care of a husband and wife. Church, I want you to think about this for a moment. We all know that on Christmas morning, God gave Jesus to the world. I want you to think about this. On Christmas morning, God gave Jesus to the world by way of the family. By way of a mom and a dad who would be there in Bethlehem. I also love the fact 
that the Bible makes it really clear here, that Mary and Joseph were just normal people. They were normal newlywed husbands and wives. And so they were normal first-time parents. And if you've ever been a first-time parent in here, then we know that they were also very likely completely scared to death in this moment. I was thinking about this story in a lot of Kimberly and I when we became first-time parents. And I was thinking about the day we brought our little girl, Ella, our first child, who was a premature baby. She wasn't even five pounds, and we brought her home from the hospital. We were completely freaked out. I drove 35 miles per hour on the interstate on the way home. We brought her into the house. And we were, she slept the whole way home. It was great. I mean, this is a less than five-pound little baby. When, when I meet babies, by the way, when y'all have like these seven, eight-pound kids, they look like three-year-olds to me, okay? So, but I remember unzipping this little onesie to change her diaper, and the cold February air hit that warm little body. And I'm telling you, she let out a scream that could, could peel the paint off the walls, Okay. And Kimberly and I completely freak out. We do everything that you could possibly do to try to soothe her and nothing is happening. And so Kimberly hands her to me as she goes to make a bottle. And apparently this was the longest bottle in the history of the world that it's ever taken to be made. And so I, am, I wait a good 60 seconds of her just, you know, just completely turning red, can't breathe, screaming. And then something, uh, uh, something I remembered in my mind that in the NICU, because she had been in the NICU for a while, that one of the most soothing things for babies is skin-on-skin contact. They called it kangaroo care. And in, in like three seconds, I pulled a Hulk Hogan and ripped my shirt off. And I placed this baby on my chest. And Kimberly comes around the corner with a bottle and she looks at me. She's like, why are you not wearing a shirt? And I was like, I'm trying to soothe our baby. You know, anyway, it was just completely freaked out at that moment. Now, listen to me this morning. All first-time parents are ignorant and they're scared because we are fleshly and we recognize that this life is so much bigger and more important than us. I want you to think about this. 2,000 years ago, God gave himself to be cared for by another scared young couple. Of all the lessons that the birth of Jesus can teach us, one of the greatest must be that God has a special place in his heart For the family, from the very beginning, God designed the family as the primary unit by which he would accomplish his purposes. And he loved and designed the family so much that he even entrusted his own son to a family. So in in light of the family playing such a special role in Christmas, I believe it should move us to want to give our families to Jesus this Christmas. Now, when I, when I mean it, giving our families to Jesus this Christmas, I mean that we invite Jesus to be the center of our families' hearts and our lives. That Jesus becomes the foundation of our homes. Church, it, 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 this is ultimately, this is what we're all longing for. We are longing for the presence of God in our homes and our families. It's not greater, greater sports and influence. It's not money. It's not these things. All those things can be blessings. But what we all long for, what we all need in the purpose of the family is we need the presence of God. And so this Christmas, what a better time to give your family to Jesus. And so I want to give you very briefly just five steps, five quick things that I think can help you 
Give your family to Jesus this Christmas. If you're keeping notes this morning, the first step to giving our families to Jesus this Christmas is for everyone to put your faith in Jesus this Christmas. Church, we've got to understand that every family is made up of every of individuals. And every individual, at some point in time, must personally surrender their lives to Jesus in order for Jesus to be at the center of your family. If you want Jesus to be at the center of your family, you can never lead your family places where you yourself has not gone. To put your faith in Jesus, that means that you must believe that Jesus came to this earth as the Son of God. That He willingly died on the cross for your sin, which also means that you must believe that you're a sinner inside of a holy God. But by putting your faith in Jesus... You believe that he took your punishment for your sin on the cross so that you might be forgiven and that he was buried and three days later he rose again. And one day he is returning to this earth. But for all of us, we will one day stand before him as king of kings and lord of lords. We put your, you put your faith in him. Now though Mary and Joseph would not have known exactly how that was going to take place. They knew that they were part of God's story here. They knew that Mary had given birth to the Savior of the world, and they put their faith in that. And one of the greatest ways that you see that is you see that by their actions of obedience. I want you to know something here today. It's, it's easy to say, yes, Pastor Zach, I have put my faith in Jesus. The greatest question beyond that then is, has your faith in Jesus changed your life? Because if, if, if putting your faith in Jesus hasn't changed your life, then you've not truly put your faith in Jesus. I can give intellectual assent to a lot of things. The Bible says that the demons in hell believe. That doesn't mean that they're going to heaven. That doesn't mean that they're followers of Jesus. In James chapter 2, verse 14, James warns about a faith that has no life change. It has no works. He says, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works, can that faith save him? Friends, I meet people almost weekly in whom my pastor heart is broken because I worry, do they truly know Jesus? They will say that they put their faith in Jesus, but their life bears no fruit of that reality. They don't hunger for the presence of Jesus or to meet with him in any meaningful way. Their sinful actions and pursuits are not bridled at all by the fear of God. Their priorities in life place everything else above the things of God. We'll go to church and we'll read our Bibles and we'll trust him and we'll serve him when we don't have anything else really to do. In short, their faith in Jesus is seen nowhere else outside of their acknowledgement of a profession. Church, the Bible says that that is not a real faith. That that is not a faith that truly saves you. That a real faith in Jesus changes you. And friends, I want you to know that if you truly want a life-changing faith in Jesus, that the promise of Christmas is that God came to us. And sometimes that's where we miss it in the gospel, by the way. People are saying, okay, I want to trust in Jesus, so I'm going to do one, two, three. I'm going to do steps A, B, C, D, E, and I'll do these things, and surely that'll make me love God. Faith in Jesus starts with your heart and your mind. You say, you know what, God? I can't do anything for you, but you did everything for me. And so, Jesus, I receive your love. I receive your mercy. I put my faith in you. Friends, one of the greatest gifts 
that you could receive this Christmas and one of the greatest gifts that you could give your family this Christmas is for you to put your faith in Jesus. Ask yourself the question today, do I know Jesus and does my life give fruit to that? And if you can't answer that, maybe God is drawing you today and I assure you he'll meet you if you'll call out to him. The second step to giving our families to Jesus this Christmas is for couples to invest in your marriage this Christmas. Now, as we saw in our text this morning, God sent an angel to Joseph to make sure that he went forward with taking Mary as his wife. God entrusted the care of his son to a family, and the central part of the family is the marriage of a husband and a wife. Now, let me say this today. I know that many of you here this morning, you grew up in a situation, or presently, you are living in a situation where marriage is not a part of your home. Death, divorce, abandonment, and many other factors can lead to marriage not having a part in your family. I understand that, and I lived that. For a greater part of my years as a teenager, I grew up in a home with a single mom where marriage was not part of our family. I want you to know today that if you are missing that part of your family, that does not mean that you are not a family. I believe that in God's perfect plan, yes, that marriage of a husband and a wife would be at the center of a family. And I believe that's what we should all strive for. But I also want you to know today that God can still be present to love and lead any family that is missing mom or dad or both if they will invite him in. But that being said, we see that the marriage of Mary and Joseph was an essential part of the Christmas story. The family, the marriage was at the center of that family. And so it points us to the fact that, hey, one of the things that the Christmas story teaches us is that marriage matters and investing in your marriage matters. So let me give you a few helpful things that can help you invest in your marriage this Christmas. First, I would say this Christmas, go on a date with your spouse. I didn't get an amen from that. Come on now. Ladies, give me an amen on that. Hey, go on a date with your spouse. Something about the Christmas season tends to always cater to the kids. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. But a lot of times you're going to get some, a little bit of time off during the holidays. Make sure that you do that with your spouse. Make sure to spend time with your spouse. Secondly, speak life into each other this Christmas. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 18, 21, that life and death is in the power of the tongue. That you have the ability to build someone up or tear them down just by your words. And one of the greatest things that you can do for your marriage is to speak life into your spouse. It is like vitamins to your marriage. And there's so many opportunities around the Christmas season where you can do that. Watch how a spouse makes a meal for your family or how they play with your children and how, they, how they, they do things around the house and how they comfort you in certain ways. Watch these things and tell that to them. Tell them what a wonderful mom or dad they are. Tell them what a wonderful friend they are. Speak life into them. And I would also say, don't sweat the small stuff this Christmas. Now, the Christmas time can also be one of the most stressful times of the year that can lead to fights and arguments inside of marriage that in the grand scheme of things are over things that do not matter. At the end of the day, the perfect Christmas picture does not matter. Come on, dads, give me an amen there. At the end of the day, arriving exactly on time and not being a few minutes late, ladies, 
that does not matter, you know. Again, I'm trying to help some arguments here this morning, okay? Making sure that you have all the batteries on Christmas morning does not matter. What I would say to you is do not let the lesser, th- lesser bothers in life hinder the greater blessing of intimacy and companionship with your spouse. Your spouse, according to Scripture, is a gift from God to you. The third step to giving our families to Jesus this Christmas is for husbands to lead spiritually this Christmas. Church family, one of the most important facts about the family that we need to see in Matthew chapter 1 is the leadership that God gives to Joseph in the Christmas story. If you read the Christmas story chronologically through Luke and Matthew, you will see that the first person that God speaks to is Mary, and and rightfully so, uh, to let her know that she's about to conceive and give birth to the Savior of the world. But then the next person that the Lord speaks to is Joseph. We see that here in Matthew chapter 1. The Bible says that after he speaks to Joseph, Matthew 121, or 124, it says, And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. So in this moment, they made the public recognition that now we are married. Now I want you to notice something. The Bible shows us that after this moment, when Mary and Joseph were married, that in the eyes of God, Joseph became the spiritual leader of the home. You can see this by in the next chapter, in Matthew chapter 2, when God is going to lead this family, he doesn't speak to Mary anymore. He goes directly to Joseph. In three different places, God moves this family to save them from harm. And in all three situations, God speaks to Joseph. He speaks to Joseph again in a dream, leave Bethlehem and go down to Egypt. Once they're in Egypt, he speaks to Joseph again in another dream, leave Egypt, come to uh, Jerusalem. He speaks to Joseph again in Jerusalem, says leave Jerusalem, go down into Galilee. And they made their, their way to Nazareth. Now listen, ultimately what this shows us is, is it doesn't diminish Mary's role. I'm going to get to that in a moment. But it just elevates the role of the husband and the father being the spiritual leader in the home. Once they got married, in the eyes of God, Joseph took on the role of headship. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, we read about the headship that God gives husbands and fathers. It says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. Church, it is in the design of God for husbands and fathers to lead in the home and the family. Now, hear me. That does not mean that a woman cannot have moments of spiritual investment and leadership in the home. Hear me this morning. That is not what I'm saying. That's far from the truth. I praise God for every wife and mother who can hear from the Lord and lead spiritually in their homes. Can I get an amen to that this morning? I thank God that I married a woman just like that. However, while there are moments... When a woman can lead spiritually in the home, underneath the spiritual authority of her husband, or sometimes because of the lack of the spiritual, uh, spiritual influence of a husband, the Bible makes it clear that just because women can lead, men should lead. It is what we were supposed to do. So that means that in situations when wives and mothers must be the spiritual leaders in the home, I want you to know that God absolutely can use you. However, 
The picture that we see from the Christmas story is of Joseph's leadership reminds us that if we want Jesus to fill our homes this Christmas, yes, God can use our wives, but it's God's desire for the husbands to lead out in that. We must be the first ones, the men, to lead. Man, let me give you a few quick ways you can lead your family spiritually this Christmas. First, I would say, man, an easy one is lead your family to go to church over Christmas. You know, this uh, Christmas season is that Sunday morning falls on Christmas Eve day, December 24th. Now, I know that people are going to be traveling and, and some people are going to be out of town and that may not be possible for you. But if it is possible, or even if you go travel to a family member's house, if it's possible, lead your family to go to church on December 24th. Here at Enon, we're going to have both of our regular Sunday morning services, 9 and 1030. We will not have any child care of any kind. It's going to be bring your babies, bring your children. Children, bring your teens, bring them all up in the house, and we're going to have a good family fun day, okay? Uh, we're going to have an abbreviated service, but it's going to be fun, and it's going to be meaningful, okay? So be here for that. That's an easy win. Secondly, men, lead your family to pray together this Christmas. Husbands and dads, there's nothing that invites the presence of God more than when you call out to Him in prayer. Man, I want to challenge you, whatever level of prayer you are at in your home, take one step further. For some of you, it may just be starting out. It may be that you make the decision over your meals and family time together that you bless your meals in prayer this Christmas. Let your family see men doing that. If you're already doing that, I'd say take it another step. Maybe on Christmas morning after the chaos, the tornado of wrapping and everything has, has completed, that you gather your family together and you pray. And thank God for what Christmas is really about. Pray. Lead your family to pray and thank God for Jesus. Guys, can I tell you another great thing that you could do for your family this Christmas? Is pray a spiritual blessing over your family this Christmas. In the Old Testament, you see that there was intentional moments where Fathers would lay their hands on their children and bless them. You know, God still honors that. There's something special about you grabbing your children and your wife together and a dad going around to each person, laying their hands on them, thanking God publicly for the gift that your wife is to you, that this child is to you, and then asking them, Oh God, would you bless them? Bless them with the presence of Jesus. Bless them with protection. Bless them with the knowledge of you. God will honor that. And can I say something to you? Your children will remember it forever. And it matters, by the way, in the spirit realm for a father to bless their children. Also, thirdly, men, read the scriptures over your family this Christmas. I believe that the reading of the scriptures and prayer are equally as important in the home. The two usually go hand in hand. A very simple way for you to lead your family this Christmas would be just to simply read the Christmas story aloud in your home. Maybe on Christmas Eve or maybe sometime on Christmas uh, Day. Take time to do that. Luke chapter 2 is a great chapter to read. Men, if we want our families to be blessed of God this Christmas and every other Christmas, make the Word of God central in your home. Psalms chapter 1 verse 3 speaks about those who read the word of God. It says that he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and whenever he does, he prospers. Friends, don't we want that for our families? 
So again, men, I would say this is your responsibility to lead your family spiritually this Christmas. Yes, it absolutely should be something that you do alongside your wife and with your wife, but it is your responsibility to make sure that it happens. However, moms and ladies here this morning, if you're a single mom here today, or if you're a wife of an unbelieving or spiritually unengaged man, then by all means, you should take up that mantle of spiritual leadership and you can lead your family in all of these God-honoring practices. And God will honor that. The fourth step to giving our families to Jesus this Christmas is to sing unto the Lord this Christmas. Now, I know as soon as I said that, some of you, uh, you say, Pastor Zach, I'm out. Okay, y'all, you're talking to other people. Ain't going to be no spiritual singing up in my house this Christmas because maybe that's not one of your gifts. I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, many of you know that we've recently started the North Jefferson Pastors Prayer Network, and God's been blessing that. As every Wednesday morning, we've got a bunch of pastors from all different denominations that are gathering together just to pray for each other and for our community. This last week, we had 10 different churches from North Jefferson represented to come together and pray. Guys, I believe that God's going to do a special work in that. But that being said, the very first one was myself and Pastor Montario Mumford, African-American pastor from First Missionary Church in Warrior. We had come together and we read the scriptures and we prayed. And when we got through praying, man, I was feeling the Holy Spirit. And y'all know me well enough to know now, hey, I'll bust out in this song, okay? And I said, uh, Pastor Montario, man, I just feel the Lord putting a song on my heart. Let's just sing this to the Lord. And I started singing this song, and I could tell he was kind of jumping in a little bit, not really. You know, he didn't fully commit to it, okay? Part of me thought that that was just because maybe he didn't know the song, you know? I finished, and I'm still kind of in the presence of the Lord. I got my eyes closed and finished that song, and I said, Now, Pastor Montario, if the Lord lays a song on your heart, man, you just jump in. I'll, I, you just, just lead, and, I, and I'll, I'll lead with you. And it was kind of an awkward pause. And then he said... Pastor Zach, a man's got to know what his gifts are. <laughs> he said, and that ain't mine. <laughs> anyway, listen, the truth is that singing unto the Lord is all over the Christmas story. When Mary, after she meets with Elizabeth, we see in Luke chapter 1 that she sings unto the Lord what is called the Magnificat. In Luke chapter 2, when the angels of the Lord appear to the shepherds outside of Bethlehem, the Bible says, Then a host of heavenly angels began to sing unto the Lord, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men. You know what that word host of angels means? It means armies. This was an army of heavenly angels, soldier angels singing unto the Lord. Can you imagine what that have looked like? I believe one day we'll get to see it, by the way. One day when we see Jesus face to face and we'll be in his presence and we'll be around his throne as, I, as Isaiah was in Isaiah chapter 6, we will see these angels singing unto King Jesus. But in the meantime, God has called us to sing unto him. All of us, even if you can't carry a tune in a bucket. The Bible says in Psalms 96 verse 1, Sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. You can do this in a couple different ways. You can start, hey, come tonight to our Carols by Candlelight. Come bring your family to come and sing unto the Lord Carols by Candlelight.
If you have musicians in your home, figure out a time in your home for y'all to gather together over Christmas and sing unto the Lord. Hey, by, hey, listen, there's a difference in singing Christmas songs and singing unto the Lord. There's nothing wrong with Christmas songs, but it's going to be real awkward in a prayerful moment if you start singing Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer, okay? So sing unto the Lord. And listen, if you are the most unmusical family in the world, you've probably got a smartphone and you can pull up YouTube or an app or a music service and you can play some Christmas worship music and gather your family together to just let the songs of Jesus wash over you. And then finally, the final step to giving our families to Jesus this Christmas is to serve the Lord this Christmas. Now when it comes to serving others, the fact that Jesus left heaven, came to this earth, took on flesh and ultimately for the whole purpose that one day he would give his life as a ransom for us as sinners is the greatest picture of service that we see in the Christmas story. But we also see Mary and Joseph serving Jesus. I I love the humanity that we see in the gentle hand of Mary in Luke chapter 2 verse 7 that says, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in cloths. And laid him a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Here you see these human beings and Mary and Joseph, this newly wed new parents caring for the Son of God. Church family, as Christians today, we can't serve Jesus physically like Mary and Joseph did on that first Christmas. But I want you to know that as we serve others in his name, the Bible says we serve him. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, when Jesus speaks about those who would serve others in their life, he would one day say to them, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did it unto me. Jesus says, as you serve others in my name, I see it, and it is as if you are serving me. Friends, I want to say, many of you have already served others in special ways this Christmas, and you know the blessings of that and the presence of God that you experience in that. Some of you served others by helping to fill the needs of our angel tree that benefited foster families and special needs children in the Burkett Center in our community. Some of you made quilts and delivered them to some of our church members who are sick and unable to attend. Our Sunshine Ministry yesterday went out and visited several of our sick and shut-in church members to bless them and love on them this Christmas. Some of you, you have served the Lord faithfully by giving under your tithes and offerings this Christmas, and you didn't even know that you were serving the Lord already. Let me tell you one of the cool things we were able to do this last week. Again, we don't publish this on social media or anything like that to get glory into ourselves, but we do want to share it with our church family. Just this last week, we were able to give $4,000 in cash divided among four different schools in our area for the counselors to be able to disperse at their will to families in need this Christmas who would never ask for it otherwise. Isn't that great? You got to be a part of that. And then some of you are serving others 
by giving above and beyond your tithes and offerings to our Enon Baptist 2023 Christmas offering. And if you haven't done that yet, I encourage you to continue to pray about giving a, a precious gift unto the Lord. And you can designate that between our Enon General Fund that will go towards serving the next generation and missionaries right here at Enon for decades to come. And even to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering that goes to serve International Mission Board missionaries that are serving Jesus all over the world. Do that together as a family. By the way, we, we gathered our family together this past week and we told them that we had given that gift and we were able to tell them uh, what all that was going to. And it was cool to see our kids to, to say, wow, I'm so thankful we got to be a part of that. Listen, church family, you can serve others this Christmas and it really can change and focus us on what Christmas is really all about. Church, I don't know where you all are this morning what your family looks like. And by the way, say God sees you right there where you are. God sees the hurts in your families, and He also sees the great joys of your families. But this year, you can be the first. Maybe you could be the first to point your family to Jesus. I want to invite our instrumentalists to come. and I want you to think about this. All of us have defining moments in our lives. I know the, the greatest defining moment in my life was when I gave my life to Jesus. And that radically changed the rest of my life. It changed generations. I mean, my children are growing up knowing about Jesus. My, my, my daughter, my two sons, it's changed everything. That one moment when I gave my life to Jesus. Friends, let me say something to you. This Christmas could be the most defining moment in the history of your life if you will give your life to Jesus this Christmas. But I want you to know this. As you make those decisions too, it affects those around you. It affects your family. Maybe you know Jesus this Christmas, but maybe you're kind of moderately spiritually engaged. You don't really see that in the Bible, church. You don't see a whole lot of moderately spiritually engaged people. You're either all in or you're not. And if the Christmas story says anything to us, it's Jesus, the Father. He went all in. Here's my son. God with you. And now our response to that should be, Jesus, here's my life. And then outside of that, maybe you would be the one to lead and say, Jesus, here's my family. Men, needs to be you first and foremost. Some of you, though, ladies in this room, single moms, others who may be not spiritually engaged people, hey, maybe that's you. Maybe it's just your marriage. You need to be the first. Maybe you will lead out this Christmas pointing your family to Jesus. Let me tell you something. Generations could forever be changed because you made a decision to do it different this year. You made a decision this year to let Jesus be the foundation of your home. You know what's so great? You invite him in, he will come. He will come. And it's so much better than anything you could have ever done on your own. So this morning, all over this room, I'm going to invite you to stand. I just want to invite you to bow your heads right there where you are, first and foremost. And if you don't know Jesus this Christmas, you know about Him, 
But your faith is not a life-changing faith, but you want to know Him. Right there where you are, would you just call that to Him? Just say, Dear Jesus, I want to really know You. I want You to come into my life and my family this Christmas. Call that to Him right there where you are. I want to ask you this question this morning. Dads, fathers, if you sense God leading you to lead spiritually this Christmas, with nobody looking around, would you raise your hand? So, Pastor Zach, that's me. I sense God calling me to lead spiritually this Christmas. Would you raise your hand right there where you are? So, Pastor Zach, that's me. Father, I pray you'd see these hands. That you'd give them the strength and the wisdom to lead. If you're in this room today and you're a single mom, or, or you know that you're in a situation of family where it's going to have to be you. Maybe you're a student and your family is not believers. But you know God's calling you to lead your home spiritually this Christmas to give your family to Jesus. Would you raise your hand right there where you are? That's me, Pastor Zach. It's going to be me. Oh, Lord, I pray would you give them strength right there. Friends, if you need somebody to pray for you this morning, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, if you'd like to make Indian Baptist Church your church home, our prayer partners are going to be up front. And as we sing, you feel free to come. But as you come, let's worship the Lord today right there where you are.